You are listening to Just Riding Along on Mountain Bike Radio. Hey listeners, before this episode of Just Riding Along, I have two things. One, go to mountainbikeradio.com slash support MBR. I'm working on something really big and I could use all the help that you can give. So go over there, learn about memberships and learn about a free way to do it is to shop through our Amazon link. Second is this episode is brought to you by Epic Rides. So listen to this quick message from Rose Grant and then enjoy this episode of Just Riding Along. Hey, I'm Rose Grant. I'm a pro mountain biker for Stan Snow Tubes and the overall female winner of the 2016 Epic Rides Off-Road Series. I'm a huge supporter of this race series because it truly offers big, epic backcountry rides on world-class trail systems, and each host venue embraces a vibrant environment with free live music, which creates a fun, family-friendly mountain bike party all weekend. I'm stoked to be racing the Epic Ride Series again in 2017, and I look forward to hanging out with all of you at the Whiskey, Grand Junction, and Carson City Off-Road events. Epic Rides races do tend to fill up quickly, so I encourage you to get more information and register today at epicrides.com. Hello and welcome to another episode of Just Riding Along on Mountain Bike Radio. This episode is brought to you by pro-only 170 TPI Maxxis Tire. And pro-only Maxxis. Again. Uh, we do have a show donation for tonight, and I have it pulled up over here. I'm going to try to get there without doing any clicky-clacky noises. Chris, Chris, who humps free from Australia. What? His last name's Humphreys. Oh. Uh, Chris Humphreys from Australia gave $10, or maybe that's $0, $01. I don't know. How did it, So if Canadians pay us with maple syrup, what do Australians pay us with, like jellyfish and deadly spiders? No, they tan the hides of... Like fallen kangaroo and send them to us as currency. Can someone send me a Joey? There's a Joey hoodie so you can carry your kitty cat around in a marsupial pouch on a hoodie. Oh, man. I could carry Indy in one of those. Yeah, you could. Um, All right, keep going. That's it. That's our donation for the evening. Um, We still have some questions from last time that weren't covered. We can do that if you want to. I guess we should do our other stuff first of what's going on. Oh, I want to cover something really quick. Kenny talked about this a long time ago, and I keep remembering it at really inopportune times. And I just want to start by saying that right now on backcountry.com, you can get a Durace 9000 rear derailleur about $35 under bike shop wholesale cost. So Shimano North America needs to build a time machine Go back in time and build and enforce a map policy, a manufacturer's advertised price policy, because they're a failing brand. And Kenny said this forever ago. Do you remember what she said? Uh, They need to go get a time machine and go back in time and go fuck themselves? Nope. You said... (laughs) That's what I was hoping he was going to say. You said... No, I I missed the last part. Did you say go fuck themselves? Yes. Okay. No. Well, that too... They really respect the product. They don't respect the price. You said that one night when, like after we had finished up a show. Yeah. And that's just like the perfect way. Because like the stuff works. It works great. It's all pretty awesome. But 
it's just really hard to stand on the shop side of the counter and get laughed at because you want to charge, you know, you can't even price match something. So it sucks. No, it's totally insane. Yeah, it makes no sense. I just don't. We've talked about it a million times, and I hate beating it to death, but it just frustrates me. And the reason it frustrates me so much is because, for the most part, I really do like their product. Uh, and most other people would probably think the same thing. And I want to sell good stuff because, like, I care. I care about the customer. I care about bikes. I care about reliability. I want to carry the nice stuff. Uh, but, you know, I got this thing hanging over my head. I'm so nervous to stock anything Shimano, anything even remotely expensive, anything remotely new. I don't want to carry. I'm not going to carry a Dura-Ace 9000 group, even to, you know, pick parts off of when people need it. Like, they crashed out and broke the rear derailleur or whatever it is. I don't want to carry that shit because someone's just going to go, they're going to hop online and go, oh, I can get it for this price. And look, the thing is, even if, yeah, they just need to respect their pricing. And it bothers me too, because I think Shimano, they seem to be such a proud company. They're super proud of their products. They're super proud in not offering warranty replacements for stuff because they think their shit never breaks. Uh, So they have all that part of it in the respect field, but then they don't respect their their own product enough to have the pricing be somewhat even i understand with currency uh fluctuations and all that that there's going to be some discrepancies but hey come on when something is below wholesale price you somebody has gone and absolutely fucked something up i mean there's no way that could ever that should ever happen um and it's so easy to enforce and they choose not to enforce it and all they got to say is if a product is being sold in x country it has to be sold for X price. End of story. It's so fucking simple. And you can get all bets off on something that's a discontinued product. Wild, wild west. Who cares? And that's how it should be. Uh, yeah. yeah. I don't when care something's if there's discontinued. Some, I don't care if it's some like X99 speed rear derailleur. Because it's twofold. The person that's looking for an X99 speed rear derailleur isn't going to be the one on their phone price checking you. You know, they're going to be, can you get this bike I bought off Craigslist rolling, you know? But that's where buying power should come in. So these people like Jensen and Backcountry and all these folks, when Shimano picks up the, you know, uh, picks up the phone and gives them a call or Niner or whoever it might be, it needs to be a full-blown discontinued product. Like hopefully not only just discontinued, but has been discontinued for a good while and they just are still sitting on a decent amount of product. And at that point they can use uh, the companies like Jensen and all them can use their buying power to go ahead and buy, you know, 10,000, uh, old Dura-Ace rear derailleurs and then sell them below wholesale because they are buying them for way below wholesale. And that's all fine and well, but you can't do that with the brand new product. When there are goddamn new articles out on all the bike rumor type websites, Oh, check out this new thing. Here's how much it weighs. Super cool. Shifts grade, all this kind of stuff. And then you go and I do a Google search for that product at the retail price they just showed on there. And like they might as well not even have a retail price on there. It might as well just not exist. Uh, But when I pull up my B2B internal website and go buy shit from Shimano, I see that same damn wholesale price (laughs) no matter what. So, I mean, that's just ridiculous. Uh, And we talked about it a million times, but it just bugs me that there's a couple companies. There's a few of them out there that just refuse to do that. And they're, I mean... They can only do that for so long, and uh, I just don't know why you want to devalue your product. As Shimano, you should be proud of your shit. You should really, 
you should get pissed off when your stuff is being your current model year stuff is being sold way way below what it should be i mean i know that if i was the engineer or the sales manager or whatever of this product and i do all this work and then i see and i go out there in the real world and it's it's like the wild wild west there's no rules there's no pricing regulation like why that's insane why would you want to do that um so anyway that's my kind of little rant on that and we we've talked about it a million times but they just keep doing the same shit over and over again uh and if anything it's getting worse that's what blows my mind. So SRAM had a little problem with it a few years ago, and they really reined it in. And I talked with a rep about it, and they said, yeah, we're really concerned about it. So we reined it in. We fixed it. Uh, I'm like, great. <laughs> so, I mean, that all makes sense. It's easy to do. Shimano, for whatever reason, there's somebody in that organization or a small group of people in that organization that are getting kickbacks or just don't give a fuck, or I have no idea what. Um, you know, and it just blows my mind. Right, and I've been told in the past that it's OEM product that's being blown out from bike companies, you know, and it's like... No, that's bullshit. But here's the problem. Well, here's the thing, though, is every one of those companies has a relationship, and they need to be able to put the pressure on them and say, look, if you're selling OEM goods, like, that needs to be in the contract. You can't sell OEM goods unless you You buy them. You need to be able to sell OEM goods, but you need to sell... The only time... They just need to make a clause in there that says, like, look... We don't care what you do with this stuff, uh, but it has to be – that product can no, has to be discontinued uh, straight up. And no bullshit. None of this backdoor bullshit like, oh, well, the, your OEM version of it is discontinued. It's like, no. If it's Dura-Ace 9100 and we're selling Dura-Ace 9100, you can't do that shit. Um, you, know, you guys need to do a better job with forecasting or whatever. Um, you know, or maybe Shimano needs to have a better return policy on their part. You know, where the OEMs, if they buy a whole shitload of stuff, maybe they have an opportunity to bring that stuff back to Shimano. I don't know all the back end workings of that because I'm not in that part of the business, but I'm just using my uh, common sense to, you know, think about some situations that might happen there. Uh, Either way, Shimano is in the driver's seat. They are. And they choose to say that they're not in the driver's seat. And that's bullshit. Um, They can, everyone else in the world who wants to manage their pricing manages their pricing just fine. (laughs) um so boom that's all that's all i got on that yeah so do we have any questions we had a whole shitload from i haven't talked about what i'm doing (laughs) i don't think anybody's talked about what we're doing (laughs) we're just bitching we got on the i don't know how we got on the topic i I want to talk about how we were just bitching about shimano i was talking about how ben or kenny had said Shimano really respects their product. They don't respect the price. That oh, was yeah. the that was yeah. the big thing. That's so how Andrea. Oh. What have you been doing? Uh, I'm just getting ready for Land Run. It's next weekend, so next episode I'll be able to tell everyone how Land Run went. I'm excited. Yeah, I think there's some Memphis people going. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, who, who else going? Maybe. I don't know. Is it mm. cool? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I know Davis Wade from my team. He's going. Oh, I don't right. know. I don't know if anybody else off the top of my head. I apologize for all the people that have told me that they're going, and I doubt don't know. But I know Davis. He has specifically talked about it, so um, that should be cool. I think it's the first time that he's done it. He's ramping up for Dirty Kanza. Yeah, that's a good pre-Dirty Kanza like leg shakeout kind of thing. It's a stepping stone. Yep. 
Uh, but so. yeah, I've got the the boon like totally pimped out. So I'm doing a SRAM red, ten speed mechanical rim brake. I've got uh, V brakes on there. Uh, Matt did raise the question: What are you going to do if it's muddy? Because V brakes, uh, if if you've ever used them before, they don't have a lot of mud clearance. The way the mud is there, uh, I'm going to take the Jeremiah Bishop approach, and you probably don't know what that means, but so. When I first started mountain bike racing, I did this race in Tennessee called Dirt, Sweat, and Gears. And the mud there, like it rained all night, and the mud was so bad that just rolling your bike through the mud, it would pick up so much mud that there were literally like people tried to weigh their bike, and it would be too much for a bike scale to weigh. Like it would say error, and the top for those was 70-something pounds. So bikes weighed more than 70 pounds with mud on them. Um, I was pushing my bike and carrying my bike and like, I got to, I got, I did two laps in a 12 hour race. Um, at one point, Jeremiah Bishop, endurance racer, passed me carrying a 100% totally clean Cannondale flash. He was just running with it. Like he never set the bike on the ground. Like he left the pit carrying a bike and was running laps carrying a bike. So that's going to be my approach at Land Run. If the mud, because the mud there is the same way. It's just, it just sticks to everything. And it's heavy and dense and terrible. Um, if I encounter that mud, I'm going to pick my bike up and carry it. I'm not going to roll it. I'm not going to try and ride it. Um, I'm just going to carry it. Uh, as best I can, just shoulder it, carry it, and I'm going to need a massage afterwards, whatever. But anyway, um, <laughs> I'm just thinking about how bad it hurts to carry a bike for a long time, honestly. But that's what I'm going to do, so I'm not worried about the V-brakes. Um, I'm borrowing a set of Bontrager Aeolus 3 carbon tubeless wheels, uh, and I have Terravail lick skillets on them. Uh, and I know we were joking kind of about the, the pro only 170 TPI casing tire, but those are 120 and they are the nicest fucking tires I've ever ridden. Like they're so just like smooth. They're so nice. Uh, so I'm, I'm really excited about my setup. It's really light. Um, should be really fast. I got to ride, I rode the wheels for the first time on what's today, Monday. I rode them on Saturday. And in the wind, and they were just awesome. Uh, so I'm really excited. I, I think I'm going to do pretty well. You know, my goal is to just do better than last time, which is not a very difficult goal to hit. Um, so, you know, I, I think it's going to be it's going to be a good time. I'm excited. That's really it. I did have like a a question, a discussion we could get into about di two. Do you want to talk about that now? That's fine. So, well, this- I raced my fat bike last weekend. Oh yeah, tell us about the fat bike race first. Yeah, I went fat bike racing in Leadville. It was a really good time. Uh, it was probably the fastest hour I've spent on the bike in a long time. Average or minimum elevation for the race was ninety nine hundred feet, so hundred feet under ten thousand, and. It was really fast. My my plan was to ride with the lead group as long as possible, and that didn't turn out to be too terribly long. Uh, maybe 16 minutes or so I could keep them in sight, 
and they just went off at what was very obviously a, a different speed. I could taste blood, so I figured I should slow down a little bit, considering I had a long ways to go still. Ended up being people were sort of catching me, and then in the mostly center section, there was some good groomed single track. It was sort of like wide. Um, you could do like classic skiing on the most of the trail. It was the mineral belt trail, so it's, again, wide enough to like classic ski on. Or skate ski on. You could do either one of those on there. It was big enough. Um, and we went into the single track, and it was like, I know, like the headlights behind me got out of sight, and the headlights in front of me that had been out of sight came back. And I was like, Yeah, that single track, let me get some. Um, and then a couple of people that had passed me earlier, I passed them in the last like third of the race. It was a good time. Um, ended up being an hour and three minutes to do 13.3 miles, which is pretty moving for that elevation. Um, yeah, because the race started at almost 10,000 feet. No, we started over 10,000. Okay. The low point of the race was in the middle of the race. Oh, okay. And it was fun. Uh, there was definitely a couple of speeds of people there. The winning time was 52 minutes. And the end of the podium was 59 minutes, and I was 103. So I was closer to the podium than third place was to first place. I don't know. Uh, they didn't really post results, though. They gave out finish times for the top three and passed around a handle of whiskey inside the bike shop. So I think that was their version of results. Um, yeah, it was a, it was interesting. Um, I don't know if I'll drive up and do another one just for the sake of it was a pretty – it was a whole day. What would you call that? Oh, oh geez. Uh, it was a whole day commitment. Oh, geez. But it was pretty fun. Uh, yeah, that's it. That's really all that I've done. And then I rode. I've been riding a little bit more, and I just fell into a bottomless pit of hunger over the last few days. And, yeah, it's it's real. <laughs> I'm really hungry all the time now. But that's about it. I'm not going to land run. I really wish that I was. Bobby, if you're listening, I'm sorry. I'll be there next year for sure. I guarantee it. But, man, I really want to go. But hopefully I get to do some other cool races this spring. I'm still working on sorting some stuff out for after Moab, carry some of that fitness into a, another cool event maybe. But we'll have to I'll have to wait and see. So it's pretty much all I have going on. Anything shaking with Kenny? Uh, nothing exciting. Silamo is coming up this weekend. I'm only going to go if the weather's nice. It's kind of rainy right now, and the forecast doesn't look very good. So if it's even like remotely rainy, I'm just like flat not interested. <laughs> Dude, you can spend the gas money on beer and stay home. Yeah, so I mean I hate doing that. But like it's just, you know, the the novelty of racing – at new places, you know, I've pretty much raced at some point or another in the, the, the general vicinity of Memphis. So that, that Gaga, Oh yeah, I heard about that race and I'm going to sign up for it. I'm going to do it no matter what. Uh, that's kind of all over. So I only want to do the stuff that I want to do because I'm an adult. Uh, and it's fucking expensive. Like it's a hundred dollars to race that race. And if it's shitty out, like, I'm going to go there and destroy my bike and spend a hundred dollars and get 20th place. 
Um, you know, and I don't want to be like a Debbie Downer. It's just, you know, I, I still enjoy racing. I think it's great and it, you know, gives you something to train for and you always ride harder on race day and it's, you know, super fun hanging out with everybody. And, um, you know, that's all, that all part's great, but damn, uh, at some point the, <laughs> the cons outweigh the pros. So anyway, uh, long story short, if it's nice out, I'll roll out there. And if it's not nice out, I'll do something else. And to maybe piggyback on that, you've checked that box. You've already you've done Solomo. So at this I've, point, every, it would be I've done it like five years, and I finished it every year, and I did well every year. Like I never really had any issues. Uh, I mean, I would say I had super solid performances, not ridiculously fast. I mean, I went on average. I think I finished it in five and a half hours or so. Uh, so like I'm okay with that. And I think, you know, on a perfect day, the best I could probably ever click off, you know, near the fitness that I'm at is maybe a five hour. Uh, I don't think I've ever ridden it in like nice dry conditions. Uh, but anyway, we'll see this year. I'm not in super awesome shape as of right now. I feel okay. Uh, but you know, it would be a little bit different if I was just kind of at the top of my game and I wanted to see if I could click off a five or a sub five, uh, I might be more jonesing to go do it no matter what but even then i kind of need the dry to do that so uh anyway we'll see on that i still you know it's a cool place and it's a tough race and um it's always fun to go there and finish it but i'm gonna wait until it's a nice dry one and then go out there uh there's so many other good races though too i mean there's just every year there's more and more stuff that pops up you know like the vista trail race that was a first timer this year and i did that one uh that's a really cool one so yeah, I think in the future, that'll probably attract more people. It's a pretty tough one, uh, but pretty cool. So that's just one of the many new one of the many new venues out there. Um, and Silomo is kind of, you know, it's definitely not in the best shape it's ever been, and I'll tell you that. <laughs> so uh, there's just so many other good opportunities. We'll see. But that's about that's all, all going on with me. Um, I do have one thing that uh, we've been over it on other shows, but somebody sent me an email about it. So I figured I'd cover it again. It's just about how I did single speed full suspension. He wants to do it with an RKT. Uh, so do you want to cover that first or you want to do other questions no, or uh, go ahead. Andrea? It's queued up. About- we'll go with you first and then we'll cover Andrea's question. And then we'll cover a couple of my questions that are on the list and then we'll call it a day. Okay. Awesome. So I am rolling to the inbox here while he goes through that. For those of you that don't know, we got started a little later. We had a, Serious, serious Matt rant that was not recording friendly before we got going here. So a little bit, we're a little, we're probably 50 minutes, 40, no, probably 40 minutes behind schedule. And I just not very happy Matt right now. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So, uh, I don't really have a full name here. That's cool. We'll Uh, just make something up. I usually do. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, we're gonna call him Alf, as in the uh, from the Alf early '90s TV show. The alien that eats cats. That's the one. Okay. His name is Altaf, I think, but we're gonna call him Alf. Okay. All right. So he says this is super short and pretty easy. Hey Kenny, the internet pointed me to you for advice on setting up a Niner RKT as single speed suggestions. Uh, yeah, you can do it. My suggestion is don't do it with a off-the-shelf tensioner. And an off-the-shelf single-speed cog. I've tried it in a million different iterations. Every chain, every cog, every tensioner that's out there, and none of them work right. Uh, they just don't. Maybe on a hardtail, you can get a tensioner to work right, but on a full suspension that has chain growth, uh, you 
it just doesn't work. And then I had a tiny bit better luck using an old derailleur as a tensioner device because that's what derailleurs do. And that was okay, but it would sometimes pop off uh, the side of the cog. And then the big one was under power, it would just slip because it's the profiling of the cog. So what it all comes down to is you need a couple things. You need a horizon-type SRAM derailleur that only moves directly side to side. So that means anything that is uh, 11 or 12 speed. I think I have a GX one on my bike, pretty reasonably priced, Please works just fine. Please use an Eagle 12-speed derailleur to make a single speed and report back. <laughs> it probably worked just fine. I haven't I done it. I would give you, I like, if it. someone did that, I would send them a $5 bill. No, you'll send us stickers. stickers. No $5 bills go in the mail. No, I would totally no, put a $5 awesome. bill in. Like, if they can afford That's an, how YOLO I am about seeing an Eagle derailleur. If someone can afford speed. to use an Eagle derailleur as a tensioner, they don't need your five fucking dollars. It's <laughs> So anyway, I use a GX1 derailleur. It works just fine. I think they're, I have no idea how much they cost. What does a GX1 derailleur cost? 100 bucks, 150 bucks. I don't know. Something like that. Whatever. So I've never, surprisingly enough, I've never priced a GX1 derailleur. But anyway, it's not like the most bottom one, I don't think, but it's not like super expensive. And it works fine. It's relatively, it like kind of weighs the same as all the other ones. And I'm not actually shifting the damn thing anyway. It just kind of sits there. So what I'm using on it, though, is I'm using the clutch uh, part of it. So that helps. And the other thing is, since it only moves directly side to side, whenever you kind of sideload that thing up, like if you're in a berm or whatever you're doing, uh, it doesn't want to, when it moves up and down, it doesn't want to move side to side, which is cool. Uh, and then I just use the limit screw on the high side, high limit screw, screw that all the way in pretty much, and then just set the cog right there. Uh, so it's probably, I don't know, let's just say if you were 11 was your highest gear, uh, I'm in probably, let's see, 11, 10, 9. I'm probably in like ninth or 8th position, somewhere in that ballpark, so kind of outboard on the cassette. Uh, using just a regular Shimano spline freehub body. And the biggest key to the whole situation is you have to make your own cog. I don't know of any other thing that's available. I could be wrong. There might be something out there right now. Um, but what I did is I took a, and I don't know how you pronounce it, but Miche, M-I-C-H-E. I assume it's Italian. Yeah, I think that's close. I don't, I don't know if it's like Miche or Miche or... We'll just say Miche. Uh, whatever. So that brand, you can get them from Q, at least you used to be able to, uh, and it's part of a build-your-own cassette kit, and you want the middle ring position, is what they're called, and you can get them in all kinds of different tooth sizes, probably all the way down to, in the middle ring position, probably down to 14 or 13 or something like that, and all the way up into the 20s, and I got a 10-speed specific one, so it's a little bit thinner, and it meshes on that 11-speed uh, one-by chain really well. And then what you got to do, that could actually work. That setup right there, you're good to go. The problem is, if just for safety, um, I welded on uh, some spline spacers on either side of that steel cog just to give the base of that cog, make it a little bit wider so it doesn't chew up your aluminum freehub body. Uh, that's kind of the do-it-yourself part of this thing. And I don't have a great source for those spacers because almost all the cassette spacers you find out there, they're not splined and they're not steel. So steel cog, you got to have steel spacers that are splined so you can weld steel to steel and all's well. So another way you could do it is just go source yourself an old cassette. It doesn't matter what the heck it is. And then you could actually just saw off basically the you know grind off or plasma cut or however you want to do it. Get rid of all the outside stuff and just get, if you can imagine where the spline goes in, you want to have metal up from there, maybe, I don't know, five millimeters, nothing too crazy. 
And you just want a little five millimeter circle basically that you can use as a good base to weld onto. So that's what I did on mine and it works great. You could also, you could use like a 12, couldn't you? You could just put the whole 12 tooth cog on there. The whole 12 tooth cog on there. Um, like one that has kind yeah. of the spacer built on. Yeah, the like the 11 and 12 will have the spacer built in. So you could use those as you your... Micro drive. No, you could use those as your supporting spacers, and they would just have arbitrary teeth on them. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, it's, the spacers are not the issue, because you can just use regular cassette spacers to get this cog where you want, but that cog itself needs to have welded to it, because it's really thin. It's a 10-speed individual cog and it's steel, uh, you need to weld to it other thing that's spline. doesn't matter if it's a spline spacer that you found from God knows where or if it's an old, in my case, an old part of a, of a cassette. You know, it's some middle rings off a cassette that I just lop off. Uh, and you got to weld that to that ring to make a wider base so it just doesn't tear up your cassette. Right. I'm saying why can't you use the entire 12-tooth cog to make your base? Um... Yeah, I guess you could. I don't really see why. Yeah, I don't see why you couldn't do that. I see what you're saying now. I was almost thinking that the 12 or the 11 was going to be your outermost one, and I'm like, well, that's not really what you want because that thing won't slide all the way on there. But you're just saying use almost the smallest cog that can slide all the way on and off of a cassette. Use that smallest one and just weld that whole sucker on there so you don't have to modify it. Yeah, and you could even – you might have to do a little trickery on like that one wide tab. But you could weld it on backwards, so then you could weld it inside the valleys of the 12. Yeah, that could work. The neat part is, what's really fascinating about that is you can, uh, well, yeah. So the that cog, the funny thing about Shimano stuff is when you flip it around. Oh, we lost Kenny. Kenny gone. He did. Yeah. yeah, you're back now. When you flip it around. Okay. That's weird. So when you flip it around, when you flip a Shimano cog around, um, it won't go on. But the interesting thing about that, if you think about it, if you put the 12 on first and then you put your Miche cog on, that weld right there is going to be like nice and flush. But then the other one that you put on is going to be have a whole bunch of space on it. Does that make sense? Because well, it's yeah. the way in which the spacer – because it, it's got the shoulder uh, – the space is on the inboard inside. Yep. Yeah, exactly. Right, anyway, so – you could, though, by like if you look at the cassette, there's like that one master tooth on the free hub. Yeah. That's like the fat one. That's what prevents it from going on backwards. I haven't really like looked into it that far, like what you'd have to modify to make that work. You could probably you could probably make it work where you could take two old 12s, flip them both around where they sandwich mate, where they sandwich on there, uh, where they're like mirror images of each other, mm-hmm. and it would give you a nice weld surface. You could probably do that. Um, there's a million ways you could do it, but unfortunately right now, I think it's kind of DIY. I'm not aware of any. And the whole reason this works is because... <gasps> ooh, ooh, I just had a better <laughs> idea, but yeah. you finish. So the whole reason this works is because I always thought to myself, okay, so I've got a derailleur as a tensioner. And if imagine if you got whatever, you got your one by ten XT setup that works great. And I'm in the middle of the damn cassette. And I'm thinking I ri- I can ride all day in that one gear and never touch it and it never pops, it never skips. I can put down all the power in the world and it works great. No problem. So then I think, well, I'm gonna take that exact same size cog and put it in the exact same position, 
but it's a single speed cog and i'm not picking on anybody here but let's say it's a it's a stainless surly cog that everybody buys and i put that in the same goddamn position with the same derailleur and it does not work and if you look at it the profile of the teeth are vastly different on a single speed cog versus a geared individual cog and if you look at it there's more of a pocket on that drive side where that chain uh inner rings like where the uh the roller of the chain where it actually applies power that it's it's like perfectly made for that and i don't know why in the heck single speed cogs are shaped the way they are i don't know if it's out of laziness or there's some other goofball reason and it works fine when you have a fully tensioned setup with an ebb or sliding drop or whatever it cannot pop up over that because there's no slack tension on the bottom so it works fine but anyway when you have just spring tension slack at the bottom of your setup, you have to have a certain shaped um, ring to mesh with that chain. So that's the whole reason why we're using this Miche cog, basically. Um, and you don't have to use a Miche. I'm sure you could just use an old piece of a cassette if you wanted to. That works just fine, too. But the reason I got the Miche is because it will be brand new and in good shape instead of going and buying brand new cassettes to take out one piece of. So, um, you know, and the cogs cost 10 bucks maybe. So really reasonably priced, but the downside is you're going to have to do some fab. Um, I wish there that wasn't the case, um, and maybe I can find a better way to do it, uh, and maybe it's something I could uh, eventually sell to somebody for some nominal fee if that's something people are really interested in doing. Um, but right now, unfortunately, I'm not aware of any product that's on the market. Hopefully somebody can speak up if they're aware of something. Uh, I think the market is just so tiny for that that it's just never going to exist. You know, There's probably going to be 100 people in the U.S. who want to truly run a full suspension single speed. So is it really worth it to make that product? Yeah, probably not. Um, but again, if there's enough interest, I might be convinced to weld up a couple for people. Um, we'll see. But I'll, I'll put, uh, remind me, show notes or whatever, I will post up a picture of uh, one of the cogs that I welded up so you can kind of get the idea of what I'm talking about. Uh, and I think I even have a couple pictures of my single speed jet. But yeah, still works great. I have no problems with it. Every once in a while, I'll get a pop out of it, but it's because a stick or a leaf or something like got caught in there, and it just you know it's like a one-time thing. Uh, but it's been great. I've put maybe I don't know 300, 400, 500 miles on it, uh, and it's been perfect, no issues whatsoever. So I think I finally, because for many years I tried all kinds of weird and wonderful setups to make it work, and some of them worked like okay, uh, like. I raced on it a few times and like it was sort of okay. And then I had a couple of races where it was just no matter how much power I put out, it would just pop and skip and just, it just was terrible. Uh, so I just kind of dropped the idea and then the, those horizon type derailers came out and I got to thinking more and more about these, you know, the tooth profiles and all that kind of stuff. And, uh, yeah, sure enough, it works. Works awesome. Boom. So, that's the single speed thing if you want to do it. Those are all the pieces. Uh, proper cog, weld some shit to it. It's got to be a Miche. It's got to be a geared cog. Uh, you got to have a, I'd do narrow wide front ring. I would do an XX1 chain and then do any one of the 11 speed horizon type trailers. NX1, GX1, X01, XX1, whatever. They all will serve the same purpose uh, and clutch because they all have clutch anyway. You want to hear the last thing that's going to solve this way easier than all that? Yeah, sure. I-9 wheels, stainless steel, free hub, boom, done. 
Yeah, and that's another thing. You could – there is no reason why you couldn't just do that. Matt's exactly right, and I'm not saying that you still won't damage – you could still probably do some amount of damage to a steel freehub body with a single steel cog that's that thin, but you're definitely going to be in a way, way, way better place than any aluminum freehub body out there. So yeah, I9 does them. Uh, I think. Does Chris King do them? It doesn't matter. I'm not sure. Uh, Hope does them. Shimano uh, hubs, they're all that way. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you could do, uh, I think the XTR one's Thai, so I probably wouldn't do that. Uh, what else? What's the other big ones? Um, I don't Hope know. Does a stainless steel uh, single speed hub. Yeah, like I it's think like they a even cassette make... body, but it's just really short. It's like a squatty cassette body where you can you can adjust your chain line on it, but it's not big enough. I mean, you could probably put like four or five gears on it if you wanted to. Yeah, you could totally use a single speed wheel for this because we're I'm mounting this outboard enough, and you kind of have to because the limit screw only goes so far. A single any single speed steel freehub body deal should work great uh i don't know if sram makes a steel one in their upper end stuff like their 900 series or their xo i'm not really sure there's one other major brand i was just thinking of that i know oh stands so stands make steel freehub bodies too so most of the big manufacturers you have to might might have to go and buy one it might cost you a hundred bucks uh but if you don't want to weld anything uh and you don't mind a little bit extra weight then there you go try that so that's it. That answers that question. Do we want to go to the DI2 question or other yes. questions? Okay, so we had this customer come in today. He had broken a cable on his Surly crosscheck. And he mentioned, he's like, I need that replaced and just adjust the shifting. Could I put DI2 on this bike? He's like, man, we'll put ETAP on this bike if you want. It doesn't matter. He's like, well, I have a another bike, and I forgot what the circumstance was with his other bike um, where he was taking the DI2 off of it. But he wanted to put road DI2 on his Surly Crosscheck, um, but he wanted to do it one by. And I think he said the front derailleur, like the cage on the front derailleur was broken on his other bike. So I was like, well, you might still have to mount like the the guts of the front derailleur up to the bike because it's like the brain of the road system is the front derailleur. But could you take a road shifter, a road rear derailleur and say like hook it up through like the mountain display, like the little on the bar display that you'd use if you were doing one by mountain could you use that stuff without using the road front derailleur? And I know Matt shakes his head because he said he's going to drop chains, but I've ridden a cyclocross bike with just yes, a plain SRAM red derailleur and like a one, uh, you know, a narrow wide chain ring, and it didn't drop the chain in cyclocross racing. Yeah. So to answer your question, yes, you can. So the it's weird. The front derailleur is not actually the brain, uh, I believe, and I correct me if I'm wrong. And I hear a lot of different things, but it's actually the battery, surprisingly enough, that is more the brains of the operation. Uh, what The front derailleur thing, you're kind of partially right on that. The front derailleur will determine what rear derailleur you can use. So you cannot use a 10-speed uh, – you cannot use a 10-speed front derailleur with a 11-speed rear derailleur or vice versa. And you cannot use a road front derailleur with any style mountain rear derailleur. You can't do that. That's a no-no. Um, but you can use any shifters with any derailleurs 
I say that I have never actually tried to use road with the mountain style shifters, but I know for a fact you can use the drop bar shifters with a mountain derailleur. Uh, and you can absolutely do that one by because we've done a bunch of those. Okay. So you can do that with just a, like, you don't need the front derailleur. Okay. I thought you had to have the front No, derailleur. you just here. So you can use any rear derailleur you want with any shifter that you want. Correct. The only thing that has to match is the front and rear derailleur. So they both have to be the same speed and flavor. So road 10 speed, mountain 11 speed, whatever. They have to match in both speed count and, you know, surface flavor. The one thing I don't know is if you can mix 11 speed road Dura Ace and Altegra. I'm not positive no, on that. They all have to, it has to match. Wait, you said 11 speed road and like. So, like 11 speed, imagine if you had a Dura Ace rear 11 speed and you had an Altegra 11 yes. speed front derailleur. I don't know if that works. I yes, think it does. It does. Okay. Because if you have a full Dura Ace 9000 or 90, whatever it is, you know, like the the new or the, the previous Dura Ace. And you want to put a mid-cage derailleur on it, you have to sub in an Ultegra-level derailleur to put an 1132 in the back. Oh, okay. Cool. And hey, we definitely recording? do that all day. All right. You still recording? Yeah. <laughs> Just checking? I think. <laughs> yeah, we are. <laughs> um, but yeah, and you can also use the display on a road setup, and it will only show you the rear derailleur. So whatever gear the rear okay. derailleur is in... It will display that on there, and it'll still display your battery percentage and all that good stuff. But it will it will do nothing with the front derailleur. It just I mean it works it works with it. So you can have a imagine you got a off the shelf Dura Ace eleven speed road bike fully ready to go Di two all eleven speed latest greatest, and you could just go buy that XTR display. You could slap that thing on there, and it's going to show you what rear gear you're in. But that's it. It doesn't. So it just uh, he doesn't even need it. Like I can just take the parts that he has and just put them on his surly cross check, and he's going to have a ball and surly cross check. Yep, that's correct. And you may even be able to buy a front derailleur cage and replace his front derailleur cage on his DI two derailleur. Yeah, I didn't quite catch what was wrong with his front derailleur. Oh, and one more thing, please to God, please drill holes in this bike and make it internal, please, please route <laughs> it all internal. And you can also. I'll ask uh, him then, if I can do that. Like if he brings it in, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll definitely suggest that. You can program the shifters to do whatever you want to. So what I usually do is have the rear derailleur do the exact same thing as it, or the rear shifter, do what it normally does, and then I just do the exact same thing on the left shifter. So you can shift the, <laughs> you can shift the rear derailleur from either shifter because it's there, and you can't. I mean, you might as well do something with it. Right. Cool. Yeah, that's good. I'm glad I got those ideas. Thank you. God, that's the only reason I want DI2. Well, one is it shifts really fast, and two is I want a one by DI2. So, like, Ultegra level shifters with an XT or R rear derailleur. God, it'd be so good. That's why I've got DI2 on my mountain bike. I fucking love it. And then I would run BB7 still because I just love them. <laughs> <laughs> that's so weird. It's kind of cool, but kind of weird. You got to put tie hardware on it. I already did, I think, for the ones that I had long enough. All right, should we move on to uh, listener questions? God. 
I can. So I'm I cracking put, the whip here. So I put that little note in there of how Matt was already pre-ranted out. Um, I'm trying to find the first question. While you're doing that, um, just a heads up. Um, we haven't done a lot of bike rumor stuff lately, but it's something caught my eye that we probably want to keep an eye out for. Uh, well, one of them, it's suspension related. And the first one is an old one, and that is the Olin's fork. I haven't really heard anything about that as far as people using it or liking it or hating it or anything. I haven't really seen any in the wild. Uh, but I just want to keep an eye out for that because, I mean, Olin's is a badass company. Uh, I think that fork is a little bit on the heavy side, if I remember right. And I think it was pretty burly on the travel. Uh, but anyway, there's a Cane Creek fork out now, uh, so that could be cool. I don't know. Kind of neat that there's competition. That's always a good thing, and Cane Creek's, uh, I'm sure this stuff's not, I could be wrong, but I really doubt the stuff's actually like fully made here. Um, maybe I'm wrong. Uh, but yeah, anyway, it'd be really, really interesting to get your uh, hands on one of these things and Try it out. So maybe we should give old Cane Creek a call and see if we can get one of these suckers. They don't make a fork that I think we're honestly interested in, though. Yeah, it's pretty gnarly. It looks like it goes down maybe to 140. And I also... It does 100 through 170 internally adjustable, 27.5 only, at a weight north of 4 pounds. So what's the deal with this? So it can... It's I thought maybe it was... I was hoping... It was a 27.5 plus that you could just put a 29 in. That's 29 version is coming is what I've read. Oh, okay. Well, either way, it's very cool to see that they're doing stuff like that. So, um, yeah, another player in the market. And they obviously have the adjustability game down uh, after seeing that DB in line. I haven't spent a lot of time on that rear shock, but pretty cool. So I'm going to keep an eye out for that one. That's all I really got as yeah, far as like, almost new stuff now. that I've seen. Almost four and a half pounds. Ouch. Two two thousand grams. Well, I mean, they're probably giving up weight for crazy adjustability, which for me, I don't care as much about because I'd rather them just do a very good job and cover ninety percent of people uh, than to add extra weight and like have all kinds of fiddly adjustments that will end up usually getting yourself in over your head. So. Um, that's why I've been fine with most off-the-shelf Rock Shocks and Fox products, because they do a pretty damn good job just out of the box. But yeah, what I really want, and we've talked about it a million times, uh, probably as much as us uh, disliking Shimano's pricing policy, is we want a lightweight, 120 mil travel 29er fork. Like yeah. someone's got to make one. And when I say lightweight, I mean it cannot be a 32 mil chassis. It's got to be a 34, 35, Ooh. or even a 36. I don't care. But it's got to weigh 1,800 grams or less, like That's preferably so, like, so, like, quite all a bit of the, less. I've been shopping, uh, and this goes into a big announcement I will have in a couple of weeks, possibly. I've been shopping around for a 29 or 120 millimeter travel fork. And unless you look at a World Cup fork, which doesn't exist in 120 in anything new right now, um, Everything weighs around all the 32 mil chassis forks are around 1600 to 1700. Well, the SID is like a, a hair under 16, but they're all around that 1600 gram mark. So it needs to, I'd say it needs to be around the 1600 gram mark because a World Cup is 13 to 14. So, you know, if you're going to start 
making a bigger chassis, but start putting in some lightweight carbon parts, like I would expect it to still be around 1600. I know they can do it right now. The Fox 34 weighs 1850 roughly. There is no reason why if they chop off a whole bunch of stanchion, chop off damper, chop off air spring, like the whole thing just gets a little bit shorter where the, you know, minimum travel hundred maximum one twenty, maybe you could talk me into one thirty. uh, but run that range, like bring everything, scale everything down on the Fox 34 as far as travel, scale it down by 30 mil, and holy shit, it would be so good. And it would probably and you weigh 1,600 have to raise grams. The price on that, like if you made stuff out of carbon, you're going to have to bump the price up. Exactly, like they can do, they could do it right now. They could absolutely do it right now, and that's what like bugs me. And I guess not enough people I mean, you want could do that. it right now if you had the right tools. <laughs> yeah, I wish more people would go out and ride big chassis forks because they're fucking awesome. Yeah. I just want them to be lighter. That's all. Like just a little bit lighter because I think that 120 mil crowd and that 120 mil forks coming on so much stuff now. That's almost becoming cross country territory. And I just I want someone to build a light one of those. It's going to be so good. And I think once people, if they built with it, I'd get a I'd get ten demos, and I would yeah. just let people ride them, and they would be sold. I know they would. Be. I mean, the so, closest thing you have right now would be the, like the RS one, which I don't know how if it rides like a bigger yeah, chassis board I, or not. I'm not going to call the RS one that. I think the closest thing we have right now is the Fox 34 because you can actually legit bring that thing down to 110 mil. The Pike, yeah, you can do the same, but it's just a little too heavy. It is, uh, yeah, it is on the heavy side. The Fox 34 is very doable, and I've got a lot of customers on that Fox 34, and it's great. I just wish it was a little bit lighter. Yeah, I agree. The other thing that I would say here is uh, I think the number one thing that is holding all this advancement back on this is they're going to have to build a new chassis platform to do it because they're going to have to do that to avoid liability of like shenanigans um so they'd have to build like a 33 and a half millimeter chassis or a 34 and a half millimeter chassis or something just different enough that you couldn't put the wrong pike uppers you you know you couldn't put pike race uppers in a pike because you're an idiot you know yeah they could probably make it as simple as like making the hole at the bottom for the little the little uh you know, air spring shaft and the damper shaft, make those a different diameter where they just won't go through or whatever. I mean, there's, there's some easy stuff they could do from an engineering standpoint, I think, but you're right. That's stuff they got to think about because, uh, man, if you leave it up to people, they'll do some dumb shit. Right. So then you, you know, you're just going to have to do all this stuff to do a fork that covers what we have already described is a dying bike. So it's pretty pointless. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I wouldn't call it dying. It's definitely no, not as big. But, you know, I, I guess the 100 mil bikes probably aren't going anywhere anytime soon because there's enough racer people, you know. There's enough people still buying Epics. Uh, so, but man, I just, God, I wish that would exist because those 120 mil bikes, 100 to 120 mil bikes are so good. They're just so good. Uh, I wish they would put just a little more focus on those. Speaking of that, I worked on a Gary Fisher rumble fish today that looked like it was taken out of the box yesterday and ridden like down a dusty road and then brought into the shop yeah the rumble fish was pretty cool that was 120 <laughs> rear wasn't it yeah yeah that was a cool bike Fuck, i mean it was that was heavy. like the first longer travel 2900 you could ever get it was that came out a long time ago that was out in what like 09 or something i don't know maybe it was pretty old 
but right, yeah. Do we have some questions we can get into? Hey, we also have some bedtime. <laughs> well, let's do one listener question. It can't be from Australia. Actually, it can because I like Australians. I want them to send me a Joey. Um, okay. I'm get a fucking dead kangaroo in the no, mail. No, we're not. No, no, <laughs> no. I don't want any kangaroo product mailed to me. <laughs> I mean, what if it was like some fresh kangaroo boots? I've really wanted to try, and uh, I'm sure I'll upset people, but you can get over it. Uh, I've wanted to try kangaroo meat because apparently over there it's actually super cheap, and they're considered pests, and it's like actually really inexpensive. Well, yeah, they're like giant boxing squirrels uh, b- because they're freaking everywhere. But anyway, it's you can get it over here. Like you can order it online, but it's really expensive. So anyway, I need to if I go to Australia, I'm going to go to a place. It's and it's so funny all the slang terms for it. Jump meat is one of them. <laughs> Oh man, uh, me and an old coworker, we used to joke about it all the time because he brought it up one day. Because I think he said that he bought dog food that had some kind of kangaroo meat in it. Because I guess it's less regulated or whatever, and it spurred the whole conversation about us wanting to try jump meat, basically. So <laughs> jump meat, jump meat. <laughs> Phrasing. Do we all find right. a question? We do. Clayton from Dallas says, "Hey Jerry crew, hey Clayton." First of all, I love my Surly X7 dumpster fire, especially the track dropouts I don't need. Um, on to my real question. Recently in training for my big gravel races coming up, the Land Run 100, the Red River Riot, and the DK200, I have had many mechanical issues ranging from messed up brake to a 3-inch bolt running through my tire and rim. What do you guys and gal... <clears throat> and gal yes. due to train for endurance when the mechanical plague fucks up your life. Thanks for all the advice and help. And I look forward to Andrea fucking my shit up at land run Clayton. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Don't buy X seven. Uh, that was probably number one rule. If you want something to last a long time. Um, um, I yeah. think this is more. What do you do when it breaks? Yeah. So is it's broken now, or he wants to know what? No, I read through this as, like, I'm doing some training, and my training got all messed up because I had some, like, unavoidable thing. It's not like I was too hungover to go on a ride, but, like, I went out and rode, and a giant bolt went through my rim. Like, so I emailed him back. My advice was, sometimes the day isn't meant. Like, if you're riding and the day goes bad, and if you freak out and go down this hole of like, well, this is the only day this week I had to ride and I have so many other things I have to do and blah, 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 blah. And you just like get pissed off and go home and don't do anything the rest of the day and you mope all day, then you definitely don't have time to ride the rest of the week. But if you can like pull your head out of your ass and like get your bike to the bike shop and get things sorted out so you can get it rolling and then spend the rest of the day like hustling so you can get some stuff done so you can then ride later in the like. If your Saturday ride got screwed up, you need to do some of your stuff from Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, that suddenly free afternoon, so you can ride Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Like that's the that's how I read into the question is like how do you overcome your training being derailed? And it's like you just have to stay in charge. You have to be yeah, like Yeah, I mean, don't make it a job for one and don't get all freaked out and depressed if something bad happens that's yeah, just i mean i'm gonna be that's just way. freaking that's just life i mean <laughs> i wouldn't worry so much about oh my gosh what happens if what happens if 
the best thing to do is just don't worry about it. Go out there and ride. And if something stops you from riding, you know, try your best to get over it. And if you can't and it just, you know, you got to call someone to come pick you up, you just do that. And it is what it is. Uh, the biggest thing is don't buy sketchy shit in all seriousness. Don't buy and I'm not picking on anyone in particular. It's just a first random thing that comes to mind. But if you buy some doohickey that adjusts your rear derailleur to work with some other shifter and you buy an AX lightness crank with like, you know, rotor rings on it and just weird shit, weird shit is going to happen to you. And you're going to be that person that comes to the shop and it's like, why does weird shit keep happening to me? I don't understand. And I look at their bike and it's like, it's all weird shit. But if you just run Shimano parts and, or just run all SRAM parts or, you know, just run normal shit. (laughs) If you go buy. This is episode where we just discussed using like a Shimano derailleur on a SRAM cassette. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, but we, exactly. we did give the ca- the caveat of like how you have to be able to deal with it. Yeah, you got to know the caveat. So the the best thing to do is don't don't fiddle with your bike so much to and buy weird shit for the sake of buying weird shit. If you just buy an off the shelf bike that's nice, it's probably going to be really nice, and you can just go ride the darn thing. And then just be reasonable about maintaining it. Like you know, check your chain every once in a while. Like. Just carry a chain link with you and just like normal. If the, if the mechanic says, hey, you really should overhaul your fork. They're not just trying to take your money. Like you really should probably do that. Like I just had a an $800 paperweight come through the shop the other day. Like I had to tell the guy, you your bike's not safe to ride because your fork stanchions are too worn out. There's nothing I can do other than order you a new set of uppers or a new fork. Yeah, so my advice would be don't take it super-duper seriously. Ride when you can and buy reliable shit, and then and it won't be a problem. And take care of reliable shit. I mean, I got to say, in all my years of riding, I can't really remember anything weird happening to my bike or me, like really at all. I think – I don't even know if I've ever broken a chain. I mean, if you just keep decent care of your shit and you buy nice stuff – you know, yeah, some super freak stuff will happen. I've gotten a couple flats, uh, maybe broken a spoke, but other than that, I mean, yeah, I mean, uh, maybe maybe don't run into shit, <laughs> don't run over stuff that you don't want to run over. I don't know. Uh, I I wouldn't overthink it because again, if you have reliable stuff, at some point everybody's going to come to a point where they're probably going to have to DNF a race or something, uh, or DNF a super long training ride that you like, you know, did a whole bunch of logistics for, and that can be frustrating. But if that's the norm, I would say you're doing something wrong, like majorly wrong. <laughs> and also like ask yourself too, if something bad happens, like, I, so I'll just give you an example. I don't know what happened to your X seven dumpster fire or like how it caught on fire or whatever. But so one time I went to ride at Silmo for three days or however long it was several days in a row. First day, a stick pops up like pinballs around between my wheel and my derailleur and cracks the cage on my derailleur. It wouldn't shift reliably, but it would stay on one gear. So that was the first time that I rode single speed. So I just put my bike in a gear and just didn't shift it for the rest of the time I was there. Like I chose the gear that I needed. It was around 32, 20, 21 ish. Just based on my, I had like a two by nine drivetrain probably at the time. So I just picked that gear that worked, 
twisted the barrel adjuster a tiny bit so it was quiet and just didn't touch it the rest of the weekend. So if you have something go wrong and there's a way to not bail, even though it may be a harder or less convenient or more painful way to not bail, look for that option as well. So that's my advice. Like, I, I don't know, it, you know, he, he wasn't very exact in saying what, what happened that made him not able to train. But, you know, if if something bad happens. Well, that's, like, I mean, he said he had a bolt. Go- he was very exact. He said he had a brake that failed. And then he had a three a different time. He had a three-inch bolt go through his tire and rim. Oh, I thought it was an X7-related problem. No, he says, first of all, I love my Surly X7 dumpster fire, especially okay. the track dropouts I don't need. On to my real question, though. All right, I just missed that part a little bit. I got it twisted up with the uh, the dumpster fire. So I'm assuming that he's joking that he's running X7. I hope. <laughs> I don't know, guys. I've read the entire question. Just like I mean, I have all the information you have. I have a feeling <laughs> that he has an X7 dumpster fire in the form of a karate monkey, and maybe he's doing gravel racing on that, or maybe. He has a different bike he's doing gravel racing on, or maybe he came in here with like the one, two, triple, like cook a combo breaker. And he was like, I got the Surly X7 with track dropouts that no one wants. Boom, triple combo, giving us all the dumpster fires at once. All right. Maybe. Because last little dig, let's all face it, Surly bikes are shit. <laughs> the shit. Surly is only good for holding a bunch of really nice parts until you find a better frame. <laughs> that's a Surly. So, well, that's it. Oh, God, don't do that. It's doing that thing again. I think that's a show. Was there another? There weren't any other? Oh, there's a bunch more questions. I'm going to bed. How long have we been recording? Over an hour. Okay. Fine. And I'm just very tired. My Are there any good questions we can give like a short, smart-ass answer to? That's the problem. No. We, there's not. Okay. There's not. All right. Just for some extra totally unrelated news, I just saw that my grandmother put a Pinterest article on Facebook, which I know this sounds like absolutely nothing to most people, my grandmother is 93 years old and can use Facebook well enough to post a Pinterest article about lemon cream cake. I'm very proud of her. Good well, job, I mean, Lucille. It, the fact of the matter is if most people on the internet did constructive stuff like that, um, I wouldn't be, you know, I wouldn't want to go. I don't doubt humanity uh, as much as I do, like when I go read comments on YouTube videos, for example. So <laughs> if everybody would lead by, or if your grandmother uh, can set the example and everybody can uh, follow that, then we would live in a better place where people could just put constructive stuff up there and uh, not be just, oh my God. Yeah, just that's what the show should be ended by. Don't read the comments. Oh my Never God. Read the comments. Just Never. read your grandma's recipe for lemon cream cake from Pinterest. Yeah. Never read the comments. Don't read the comments on Andrea's grandmother's Pinterest thing. Cause they're probably terrible. <laughs> this is a lemon cream cake fit for a fancy party or just a weekend treat. There you have it. Don't read the comments. Make a lemon cream cake. Good. Afternoon, night, morning. I don't know what time of day you're listening. It's nighttime, so good night.
Thank you for listening. And just a reminder to go over to mountainbikeradio.com slash support MBR if you want to support the show and make sure that all of this keeps rolling. So thank you and have a good day.